And I started having this like food thing happening where I was like, I'm going to work at the shoe store. I'm selling these toxic sneakers at the mall. And then I, they, then they give me money. And I'll take this over to the grocery store. And I give them the money. And then they give me these plastic wrapped things that were grown by somebody far away out of the ground with water and sunshine and seeds. And I eat that so that I can go back to the shoe store to get more money to do this again. I'm like, that is fucked up. One man's stoner existentialism is another man's math, science, and philosophy. Thank you for tuning in to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. This is Andrew Couch with my wife, Tiffany Couch. We're bringing it to you every other Tuesday. If you're not listening to this on a Tuesday, forget about it. But you can listen to it again on another Tuesday, perhaps. That voice you heard at the very beginning of this podcast was my good buddy, Charis Ford. We talked via Skype, which I will hopefully never do again. If I do it again, hopefully I will have it figured out uh, to a better extent than I did in this call. The audio quality, I promise you, this is not what we're going to be doing in this podcast. I promise. It'll be much better the next time. But at any rate, I, I had to talk to him because he is uh, the first person I thought of when I wanted to interview people who were doing fun and interesting things. So uh, Charis Ford, you'll get to hear all about him. Before we get into to his... Uh, to really get into anything, I do want to warn any parents that might have little kids around. We are going to talk about some explicit stuff, uh, specifically the use of illegal drugs, which um, I have my own opinions about, uh, which are, are not important, I guess. But if you're worried about your kid being exposed to uh, mind-altering substances, uh, tell them to piss off and not listen to this. If you'd like to educate your kid on uh, what I think are unexpected outcomes, feel free to keep them in the room or in the car or wherever it is that you're listening to this. That's the theme today, unexpected outcomes. I hope um, I hope it makes sense. It made sense to me, but uh, it may have something to do with illegal drugs. Before we go any further, I absolutely have to thank a few people. First, I want to thank Helen and Zach Smith of New Orleans, Louisiana. They were so kind to uh, donate some money to us via GoFundMe. They are a young couple with a freaking baby. They just made a baby and uh, they gave us money, which is incredible. It's really, really, really helpful. They, uh, You can support them if you're interested. Zach Smith is an incredible photographer. He's got a shop on Magazine Street if you live in New Orleans. If you don't live in New Orleans, just go to ZachSmith.com and check him out. It's, it's, it's great. I really like his stuff. We also got some support from Tiffany's friend and co-worker John Gorman. John Gorman also helped us out via GoFundMe. And John Gorman broke his neck, not once, but two times. Two times a broken neck and still found it uh, important enough to support us. Uh, I just can't even tell you how uh, kind of powerful and sweet that is. So thank you, John Gorman, and speedy recovery. I also want to thank my good buddy, 
Danny McQuaid. Daniel McQuaid is living in Brooklyn, New York. He is a teacher. He is a great human being. I've known him for over 20 years, and as soon as I told him what we were doing, he joined immediately, became a patron via Patreon. So thank you, Danny. You're a cool guy for a number of reasons. Uh, never mind you being my patron. Uh, we love you. I also want to thank, um, not the least of which, my mom and my stepdad, Janine and Bill. They are wonderful, objectively terrific human beings who have been my patron my entire life, but have now done it digitally via Patreon. I'm, uh, I hope we don't let you down, and I hope you don't mind hearing about illegal drug use. I love you. Okay, coming up, Mr. Charis Ford, a very interesting man who I met uh, randomly on the Pacific Coast in Mendocino County where I was working for a small inn. Uh, this this gentleman and his young family, two young boys and his wife, they, they, they check into this hotel and uh, I was working the front desk and just, I don't know why, I just thought they were cool, they seemed interesting. So I asked them if they wanted to take a walk with me when I got off my shift. I was done with work, and they were not creeped out sufficiently to say no. They actually said yes. We took an amazing hike on the uh, Pacific Ocean near Point Arena, California. And uh, if you've never been, you should absolutely stop what you're doing and go there immediately. And we got to know each other and suddenly found out we had this uh, shared history and uh, new people in common. It's just totally, totally random. I don't know that I'm going to... We talked for two hours, by the way, in this podcast. I'm not going to play the entire thing, but uh, some of that we'll get into, some of it we won't. But at any rate, Charis and I have... Uh, uh, I just immediately liked him, and I hope... Well, I don't hope. I'm almost certain you will also like him immediately because he's just a fun and funny and interesting guy. So, without any more of my garbage, I want to introduce you to Charis Ford. When I asked him to tell us a little bit about himself, here is what he had to say. I'm a hippie kid. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I was born in Woodstock, New York in 1969 to a couple flower children. And uh, uh, Charis is the Hindi word for hashish. And so uh, they named me Hash, and uh, it kind of kept it from me. You know, it's like it turns out that that word comes from charas or got the same root as charisma and all that. So that was kind of the story I got as a kid growing up. And then, but as I got older, people would come back, you know, from India, and like, man, I think I may have smoked some of you, dude. And it just started kind of piecing together. And uh, one day, my dad was like, yeah, basically that's it. Uh, we would have known about the word had we not heard, you know, been smoking charas. So that's how I got my name. And uh, that's great. really beautiful people that uh, uh, gave me life, my dad and mom, um, both who are past, but just shine so brightly. Uh, my mom started one of the first holistic health centers in the U.S. and was a pioneer in that whole m movement, as it were. Really cool, ass-kicking lady. And uh, my dad worked for the Native American communities, uh, Paiute Shoshone, uh, ever since I was a little kid. And he, he, we, we're not a Native, you know, that's not our, our, our heritage. But uh, my dad just felt like he wanted to do something. He, he was working for an ad agency. He actually won a, a best ad of the year in 68 or 67 by some, you know, there's some 
trophy out there with some kind of ad worthy award ceremony where he got number one. It might have been the ad of the year. I think it was the ad of the year, but maybe there's more than one ad award. I don't know. It's a cheese thing. I, it didn't even make sense to me after I read it. But uh, <laughs> but he went to his boss and he said, you know, I just feel like I'm lying to people. You know, this is I'm having a hard time doing this advertising thing. Kind of a madman, very much a Madison Avenue ad company yeah, in the yeah. '60s, late you know, mid '60s. And the boss says, you know, basically, you know, shut up and go back to your desk. That's what we pay you to do. You know, it was just a straightforward thing. And my dad, you know, had spent a little time out, you know, in the in the f- fields uh, of Woodstock. You know, we lived there. We lived in the community, uh, and. Uh, he was like, "Can't do it, man. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen too yeah. much. I know too much. You know, he's he, you know, mushrooms and LSD and uh, peyote. I'm sure that they had a, a tried a few things, um, but right. decided to to give his life to service, if you will, and taught in inner city schools, taught poetry in, in inner city schools, and then decided to write, take his Ivy League education and become a grants writer for Native communities." And so that's what he did. He just became an office stiff in the tribe, the tribal council, you know, making sure the they got the basketball court, you know, the clinic was financed, and you know, the, there was enough houses, and you know, wh- what have you, you know, build a couple smoke shops for the guys on the highway, and keep keep the family going. So that's what he did, and a really bright guy, uh, really bright guy, you know, full scholarship to. Whatever it is, I always get there's four of them, but it's not Harvard, Yale, it's not Stanford. That's it. It's Yale. Then it was Yale. Yale. Yeah, really, wow. really interesting guy. But he dropped out. He was a English major, and he was like, "This is total bullshit, man." I'm just like, you know, it's this academic pomp and circumstance. None of it means anything. I'm so out of here. So he 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 left a, off a couple, you know, uh, career paths or life paths that, that led him yeah, to yeah. work it, and he lived in the middle of nowhere. With his old lady, my mom and him split, but he lived a really beautiful life. He really reminded me of um, Lao Tzu. You know, he was kind of he had kind of a Taoist bent, and didn't say too much. Kind of the opposite of me, and just a really soulful dude. Really soulful dude. So I feel really lucky to have these uh, people behind me. You know, those my parents yeah. are super. My mom, yeah, my mom. Well, you know, I, I don't think of her as chatty. Uh, but she was certainly chattier than my dad and very charismatic and very much, uh, uh, I don't know, she was a very unusual person. Like, there's a whole community of people that had formed, if you will, around her in Florida where she started this holistic health center called the Center for Wellbeing. And just, it was like, there was like, a, for whatever reason, she kind of had this kind of Cleopatra thing going on, you know, this right. kind of matriarch of many and well-loved and she brought all this cool, you know, she, you know, high, she was employing people that were doing cool stuff and then her whole extended community basically was pretty far out. You know, new age, what have you, you know, primal scream type, you know, a mix of things. I was rolfed as a 10-year-old or something, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. You know, we didn't eat... Uh, yeah. We were, we were macrobiotic, so my mom had this whole kind of Eastern philosophy that she followed the macrobiotic Michio Kushi, you know, daikon roots and everything in season. It was weird because, like, eat with the seasons, but eat food from Japan. It was a little bit. <laughs> it's spring in Japan. I guess we can eat daikon yeah, radishes now. It. What the heck? So that was a little weird. We called it macro neurotic because it just, it was just overkill. But, uh, 
Yeah, so we didn't no. eat, we didn't eat meat, we didn't eat sugar, you know, milk, anything like that for a long time. You have a you have a brother. I have a brother. Yeah, my brother's okay. name is Shandaken. And Shandaken was the river, the name of the river along whose banks he was conceived. So they na- and there was also a commune up in Shandaken too that uh a nudist colony where they were part of that group. It was a crazy scene. So Boomer is what we called Shandaken. So Boomer's my brother. And uh, yeah, it was the two of us. Yeah, yeah. Two of us kind of hippie kids growing up in a straight world type scene. You know, it was a little bit like uh, Noah's Ark of alternative thinking, if you will. And we were planted in this little, you know, whatever, kind of a yuppie 80s, you know, preppy is what it is. It was preppy kind of kids. And we went, we got a scholarship for private school. We went across town on the bus and we had to get it on, you know, we're in the, you know, most people in our neighborhood were black and uh, Hispanic and hippies. And, you know, we were in the, what they call the, you know, South side, the poor side of town. And we take our bus, we go to the park and have to deal with all these people. And we're just kids, little kids. And we'd bus over to the rich part of town. And we had a scholarship to this prep school basically. And so, we did that for a while. Eventually, my mom, you know, saved some money and bought a little funky fixer up or closer to the the scene. But long story short, um, yeah, that's kind of what what it was like growing up. You know, video games and you know, right. getting in trouble. I I uh, I definitely have some stories about the hell that I put my mother through uh, between the time I was a hippie kid, her you know third generation kid. Decided I didn't know if I wanted to do that and take my own kind of like rebel without a clue type path. And then to come back around, if you will, to be fully aligned with so many things that she stood for. And, and, and you know, she was my best friend, you know, when she was alive uh, for all, you know, you know, and that's it. She was my best friend. bunch of mushrooms in uh, 10th grade, summer of 10th grade, and did an outward bound that year. And I had been basically kind of hell on wheels. You know, I just, you know, drinking, smoking, stealing cars, you know, getting into a world of trouble, you know, Uh, just, you know, staying out of, you know, didn't go into juvie, but it was that kind of a thing, you know, and, uh, but I had a bunch of mushrooms one summer, you know, I was in this thing of like, oh, yeah, man, party, you know, oh, I'll take some of this, I'll take some of that, you know, oh, yeah, I'll take some mushroom juice, <laughs> and I was like, you know, two or three hours later, I'm like, you know, my mind is, you know, Uh-oh. blown, and my ego's collapsed, yeah. and, you know, uh, anyways, it was very, very, very help, uh, healthy, it was a powerful, life-changing thing, and I was lucky to have my mom, and that backdrop of the alternative culture, to end up in, you know, when I was like, wait a minute, you know, you know, and so I had some really powerful uh, 
experiences. Not a lot of uh, drug experiences. I mean, the drugs a bunch, but you know what I'm saying? Not so much that it was all about that, but there was a sure. few things that happened to me along that path that were, you know, hands down the most powerful. There was really one thing that happened to me that was hands down the most powerful thing. And uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it was. Um, so I was in this phase of like, you know, if you can smoke it, I'd like to try it kind of thing, you know, and, uh, sneaking out at night, you know, just, just t- trouble. I do have a lot of stories. <laughs> so I'll tell you a story a- about my trouble first, and then I'll tell you the thing about the mushrooms. Okay. So All right. <laughs> um, it's like eighth, ninth grade, too young for a driver's license. We are, it's me and some hoodlums that I was hanging out with. We had a bag of weed, you know, we're 15 or something, you know, whatever ninth graders are, 14, 15, something like that. And I stole my mom's car and none of us had driver's license. Uh, Your oldest son, isn't he that age now? Yeah, he's that age now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. My son, (laughs) you know, he he doesn't even want to drive, you know, he drove across the... (laughs) The farm just a little bit. He was like, okay, I've had enough. You know, he didn't put shoes on. I was walking today in the snow. You know, we got, you know, we're up in the Rocky Mountains, snow everywhere. There's footprints everywhere, bare footprints, human bare footprints in the snow and ice for the football field in every direction from our yurt. They, neither oh one of them will wear shoes. They're really, they're really cool like that. So, so here I am with a bunch of guys. We're skipping school. We've got, we're in my mom's car, no driver's license, you know, bag of weed, uh, stolen car. We go to the beach to this, like, you know how the beaches often will have this kind of sunset strip vibe where there'll be the 7-Elevens and the putt-putt golf and the hotels. And so it's that kind of a deal. Four lanes, two going one way, two going the other, and a, and a median. And uh, <clears throat> we go, we decide to go park in the, basement parking lot of this it had to be 18 stories it could have been 24 maybe it was 16 but it was a big ass building and it was shaped like a horseshoe and you could see uh if you were the higher you were or any from anywhere actually from the courtyard or from the top floor you can see all the floors doors and the railing so it's kind of like one of those view yeah you can see everything from everywhere so we had this idea that we're going to try and go onto the roof of this building and smoke a joint so that was our big, you know, adventure goal. And uh, so sure enough, we par- I parked the car and we take the weed and we go up the elevator as far as we can. And then the elevator takes us to the top floor. We can't go, to, you can't go like take me to the roof, right? But uh, right. <laughs> so we saw this, the fire escape stairwell and we climbed around some locked thing. And we basically climbed around it and went up to the roof. And so we're up there, you know, but this is awesome, man. You know, we're top of this thing. You know, we're smoking a joint. You can see the entire beach in every direction. And, uh, um, you know, it was great. And then we were like, hey, let's just check out, because there was a human-sized chessboard down at the, at the courtyard bottom. So, you know, we're looking down on the scene, this horseshoe of uh, floors and people and everything. And all of a sudden we realized that we've been spotted, you know, and there's a lady, like a cleaning lady with her little cart and she's going, and they're pointing at us. She's pointing at us. And we're like, holy fuck, we got to get out of here. So we barreled down the stairs, elevator, down to the parking garage, get in the car. And uh, just as we do, this little golf cart pulls up and says, uh, um, are you guys staying here? And I being the kind of head, you know, whatever, buffoon, you know, or whatever, 
default uh, leader of the group was, uh, I said, yeah, McDonald, 201. So I said this to him, like, without, you know, just got in the car. He drove, drives off, and we're like, woo we made it, you know, we're out of here. And, uh, but as we come around, we're in the basement of a horseshoe parking lot. And as we come up and out of the thing to go to leave onto the Sunset Strip, the road, you know, the beach road, we are confronted by the gatehouse. And I don't know, there wasn't a gate down. It wasn't a, it was one of those things that could have one of those arms that come up and down, but it wasn't. It was just a dude who stepped out. This guy was like, he looked like, I described him as grape ape, you know, he was this big kind of, you know, anyways, you know, you get, you know, the type and it kind of looked like a football player or something. And, you know, I'm just, this couldn't have been a more scrawny 15 year old, you know, kid, I'm just a kid, you know? And, uh, anyways, he's like, hold it right there. I'm like, no, no, we, we're cool, man. We just talked to that guy back there. He goes, I know McDonald, we're checking you out. And I was like, okay. And so I slammed it into first and I gassed it. And this guy jumps into the vehicle, hanging in. He's, he's like trying to hit me with the walkie-talkie and get me to physically stop driving. To which I responded by dropping it into second and planting my foot on the gas and going out into this four lanes of traffic that I have no idea what's happening. You know, I'm just out of there. And so... The, oh, the, luckily, by some miracle of God, uh, we didn't get hit crossing the first two lanes. And we, and I went in and I got to, got it together enough to see how to get into the opposite lanes. You know, like I'm crossing the median and this, I've slammed, I'm in second now, I'm gassing it. And this guy's hanging in the window of my vehicle, trying first he was trying to hit me with walkie-talkie. Now he's like, I don't, I, he's not quite sure what's happening because I'm just hauling ass. And he drops, <laughs> he lets go of the car and rolls in the median. Oh, my God. Okay? <laughs> I could go on with this story. But long story short, we're heading down. We're out of, get out of my God. We're like, we made, ah! you know, driving like crazy, you know. And all of a sudden we hear... You got him. We're falling. They're on sunset. We're like, what the? What the? The guy dropped the walkie-talkie in the floor of the driver's where I, in my driver's floor. And so I pick it up. I hand it to my brother, to Boomer, and I said, "Deal with this." You know, I'm driving, and and he he's like, "What should I do with it?" And then the three goons in the back are like, "Destroy the evidence!" And so my brother chucks it out the window, and. But they were on, on our tail. We should totally, like, we had the walkie-talkie. We should have, like, no, that's not them. They're the ones going the opposite direction, you know. But we weren't that, we, were, we didn't have it together right. enough. But we got busted. We, I pulled down all these side roads and went behind, you know, I parked behind this pile of sand. And, and it was just like, ur, 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 ur. and, uh, but this is every bit as good of a part of the story. They didn't ask for my driver's license. They didn't ask us why we weren't in school. They didn't ask for a registration of the vehicle. They didn't ask us or search us for drugs. They didn't ask us for a driver's license. All they wanted was the walkie-talkie.
exactly from hippie baby to not so hippie teenager. <laughs> so then, yeah, yeah. I, I was ready. I was like totally park. You know, you name it. I mean, not you name it. I was mostly into mushrooms and and weed and and booze. No, I wasn't into mushrooms because there hadn't been any mushrooms. But I, I I'd been drinking beer and, and uh, smoking cigarettes and smoking pot. And just, you know, thinking I was cool and ready to try whatever. And someone said, hey, man, I know where you can get, pick psychedelic mushrooms out in this these cow pastures uh, outside town. I was like, I'm all about that. And I was really kind of academically interested in mind-altering substances. My mom gave me a book. How about this for a hippie thing? When she realized we, start, we were experimenting with pot, she was like, I think you should take this. I, I, I want to give you this book. And it was by Dr. Andrew Weil, and the name of it is Chocolate to Morphine, A Guide to Understanding Mind-Altering Substances. Yeah. Hand that to your 15-year-old and see how it works out. So that, I was very interested in the, uh, in the whole thing. And so Psychedelic Mushrooms, I'd read about them and stuff. I was, was excited. So we went and picked a bunch of them. Never had any. Didn't know anything about anything. Blended them. Made some tea. Went to the beach with our girlfriends. And uh, drank probably seven times more than we should have. And uh, I'm sitting there with these kids, and uh, all of a sudden, I start feeling really not okay. Like, emotionally not okay. I'm alienated from the people that I'm with. I'm confused, alienated from myself, uh, uncomfortable. And I have to leave, basically. A very unusual kind of feeling for me to be like, you know, whatever. Uh, like, I got to take myself away from the situation. <laughs> you know, that, so there, so I walked down the beach a little bit and I realized I was very sad. I was very miserable sad. And uh, I uh, didn't know what was going on. Well, whatever. It was happening. It was just a real time thing. And I went to the water. I didn't want to see my, I didn't want my friends to see me crying, but I could tell that's what was happening. I was, I was getting emotional and, uh, and so I went into the water and I laid face down in the water crying underwater. And then after who knows how long I had this epiphany and it was as if a voice had said it to me, but it was, didn't require a voice, but it was, the message was you can be free. And my mind at this moment was like a staticky television. It was like, <laughs> And this you can be free was like a – it was like someone took a, a like a, a tincture dropper, you know, like a eyedropper. And it was like perfect clarity, blue, almost you could imagine like a blue ink or something, a, a luminescent blue ink. And it was as if a drop had landed in the midst of this static, like, a, like imagine a television static and this ripple of blue – concentric waves of clarity moved the part. There was no static anymore. And um, it says you can be free. And I'm like, that's really what I would like. I would really like that. I would like to be free because I'm suffering. I'm miserable. I don't trust my friends. You know, I was cheating on my girlfriend, stealing my mom's car, dragging security guards through the streets, you know, what have you. Uh, I'm hurting my body, smoking cigarettes. What's wrong with me? Just like all these things that I had kept together in this neat little I'm cool package just were in a pile, like 52 pickup on the floor. 
and uh, in the ocean floor. Um, so I'm so I'm just like out of it. I, I don't know who I am. I'm not out of it, but I'm, you know, you get the idea. So I guess total real revelation. And I'm like, that's it. I'm totally there. I'm sign me up. I'm consider me. I'm with the. I'm gonna be free thing now. And complete elation, as you can imagine. The whole thing is just like this. Whoa! And then I realize that I'm looking down at my body, like about twelve or fifteen feet below my point of reference. There's me laying in the ocean, floating face down. And I was, you know, real time, uh, uh, it was like, I realized I was losing the connection to my body. Like my body is not breathing and I'm out, I'm going to be free. And I just, it was as if in a moment I just came slamming back in and out of the water, like a very much a baptismal type scene and, you know, catching my breath saying if, if out loud or in my mind, I don't remember I can be free and stay. And I never in my life could see as far as I could see that day. I could see little fish jumping off of teeny waves like a hundred yards away. And then like a school of fish came, little minnowy fish, they came and they were swimming up to me and they started going around me like a frisbee. Do you know what I'm saying? Like a school, like, like a, a circling. They circled me and then they left. And maybe that's more common than what, you know, but the whole thing was out of control. So I was just, I'd seen, you know, whatever, all that I needed to see to be convinced that we live in an incredibly beautiful mystery, magical dimension. And I was humbled by it and excited by it. And I decided I didn't want to be a fuck up. So that's when I started not being a fuck up. And uh, so that's, that's, that, that's that story. your drug experience everyone's drug experience is, is something unique to them but yours was uniquely positive um and i imagine the people in your life noticed it your mom noticed it uh from that point so you're early in high school you, did you turn your grades around on top of it as well or is it just kind of like you're just less dickish and wild i'd gone from getting really good grades in this private school to getting horrible grades and being a complete fuck up in this public school. 
And uh, um, when I had this experience, when I when I realized that I could be free and stay, I was um, I started meditating. You know, I started listening to George Winston's December. You know, I, I started spending time outside. Uh, I got in touch with you know food and my you know relationship to nature. I got really into nature basically, and I stopped hanging out with all my old friends. I completely dropped uh, my group of friends that I'd kind of built. And uh, that was 10th grade. So the summer of 10th grade, I had this personal awakening, let's call it. And um, and that was kind of intense, you know, to just say, no, I'm not, no that's not me anymore. I, you know, I'm not doing that. And I got straight A's and uh, went from, yeah, you know, C's, D's, and F's in freshman, sophomore to straight A's for the rest of the show. Or maybe some B's, you know, but top of, you know, doing great, doing great in school. And I think that the yearbook, you know, that like most likely to succeed and all that sort of thing in the yearbook, uh, there was a picture of me standing on my hands, you know, in whatever, you know, I went back to the private school for those last two years, what happened. And I was standing on my hands and, you know, whatever, you know, prep school clothes. Uh, and it said, most likely to question mark, question mark, question mark. And so it wasn't like I was, you know, any, I didn't fit any success model particularly but it was clear that I was going to be okay I think is kind of uh, you know I was going to do something that was very interesting interesting things indeed Charis has done all sorts of fun stuff in his work life after spending many many years looking after his mother being her primary caretaker uh, until her her passing he uh he became a very unique voice in the biofuel and sustainability industries. Um, he's just been all over the world uh, with Daryl Hannah, doing some pretty unique stuff. You can check it out on YouTube if you uh, if you just Google or I'm sorry, do a YouTube search of Charis C H A R R I S F O R D. You'll see him rapping and talking about biofuel and getting people genuinely excited. It was great, great stuff. Um, he's also been involved in the cargo bike industry. If you didn't know that cargo bikes were a thing, oh, they're a thing, and they're super cool. Check out ExtraCycle, X-T-R-A-C-Y-C-L-E dot com. Uh, they're in Oakland. I've gotten to meet those guys, actually. Really cool stuff, and Charis had a hand in that. He's also uh, worked for Neil Young for many years as his uh, environmental campaign coordinator, which, if you're not familiar with Neil Young's environmental campaign, Get yourself familiar. It's pretty cool. Charis was helping nonprofits all over the place in this massive tour, sort of get more exposure. Uh, hip job, the right guy for the job, for sure. So there's, there's a lot to say about Charis, and we will talk to Charis again, for sure. We actually really hope to go see him on our, on our journey and uh, visit with him and his family in person and not do another Skype call. But... Uh, yeah, I just couldn't put out a two-hour podcast in our very first one. It seems um, presumptuous of me to do so, so we're, we're not going to do that. I'm actually recording this little bit in my van, uh, in our van. It's the very first time I'm doing that, so if you're hearing a little bit of road noise in the background, uh, maybe give me a break. <laughs> and maybe it, it might be a thing. It might be adding to the charm. I have no idea. We'll have to listen back to it. But at any rate, Charis... Um, what a gift. What a gift this guy is. He is uh, an excellent person to know and has been doing fun and interesting things for a good long while. Uh, I'm going to put up just a couple more, uh, one of his, or two of his raps, actually, 
that uh, I just, I got to share with you and one last little story to send us out. But thank you for listening uh, and enjoy the remainder of what Charis has to offer here. And rest assured, he will be back in future editions of the Monkey Tooth podcast. Okay, here comes some more Charis Ford. Have I done you the mushroom wrap for you? No, you have not. Get out. You have not. All right, here it goes. I'm listening. It goes, uh... Well, you can find them in the forest, you can fry them in a pan. Why don't you step into the kitchen with the mushroom man? Foliota squarosa, Grafola frondosa. Don't always say the Latin names the way that I'm supposed to. Fungal forms don't fall in families of animals or plants. I'll do my best to tell you about them. Give me a chance. They got this unique physiology, and they cannot be classified in any way as botany. Excuse me while I drop a little terminology. Mycologist is fancy for a mushroom freak, and the study of the mushroom family is mycology, and some of them are poisonous and many you can eat and some of them will literally lift you off your feet and some can cure cancer some help them folk with aids and they prefer environments with moist ground and partial shade yo kick it fantastic man yeah you never heard that i never we didn't spend this much time together we just uh took a couple walks yeah yeah that's great man that's fantastic (laughs) i thought you'd like that do you normally are you normally sharing that like on the first date with a friend did i miss out (laughs) no no i mean we just no no i don't i don't you know my thing is real surprised that i haven't uh, heard well, I just didn't know, you know, it's been a long time since we hung out and, yeah, and I, yeah. and I know we talked biodiesel, so I figured we talked wraps and I figured you'd seen it, you know, if not yeah. seen French fries, you saw YouTube somewhere. So I knew you'd probably heard a rap or two of my, I, I wrote, uh, probably eight of them. I've got a rap about eating bugs, which I'll have to do for you now since, uh, it's, it's, and it's all in this kind of nerd end of the spectrum, right? Like <laughs> drop in terminology. You know, kind of thing, and, and comp- somewhat complex yeah. topic matter. You know, but uh, the mush, the bug wrap. I was so I'm living in Tennessee. I'm growing as much of my own food as I can, and that's a story I didn't tell. But basically, my mom and I, after she broke her back, I'm graduating from high school, and I'm like fully in this. Like, I'm going to grow my own food. The mushroom uh, experience that I share with you, my newfound love for nature. I went to Outward Bound that same summer that I had the mushroom experience. So I'm a youth, you know, at risk, you know, troubled youth who signed up for Outward Bound to kind of do this delinquent rehab thing and live in the bo- the woods with some guidance counselor guys, you know, Outward Bound, really cool program. But, um, and that within, you know, whatever, uh, a week to a month before I go to Outward Bound, I had take these mushrooms. And so it was a great setup for me to have this life change because I did the mushrooms and then I went off away from my community for a month uh, on the Appalachian Trail in Maine and hiked and did service work and had to deal with, you know, work in a small group and do teamwork with these people and be around people who were older than me and seemed like they were pretty switched on and like, why wouldn't I listen to them? And, you know, why wouldn't I ask some questions about who I wanted to be and how I wanted to be, you know, beef, I could be free and stay was really about, I can do anything. I don't have to be a fuck up. I can create I can exist in any way that I would like to exist in, 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 in 
endless opportunities for feeling good about that and making a positive difference and being someone who I liked because that was what my breakdown was about is I didn't like who I was, you know, I didn't like what I was creating. But, um, so, um, I don't know how I got into the hour bound thing. Do you know how we got on the hour bound thing? Uh, sorry, I keep turning down the mic. No, no, it's good. Yeah, you were, um, you were going to talk to me about the bug grab. Uh, All right, the bug grab. Okay, so skip so basically, the, the hour bound well, was you're a, going to Tennessee. Right, yeah. the hour bound was a big part of my falling deeply in love with nature, and I started having this like food thing happening where I was like, I'm going to work at the shoe store. I'm selling these toxic sneakers at the mall, and then I they, then they give me money, and I'll take this over to the grocery store, and I give them the money. And then they gave me these plastic wrapped things that were grown by somebody far away out of the ground with water and sunshine seeds. And I eat that so that I can go back to the shoe store to get more money to do this again. I'm like, that is fucked up. That is really fucked up. And I, and I didn't want, I wanted to take out the middleman. I wanted to have a direct relationship with how it was that it was possible for me to be alive. And so farming was the call that I, it kind of came over me over a period of years. So graduating from high school, I really want to go back to the land basically and be a farmer and work, you know, work forage and work horses and have bees and goats and, and do a back to the land thing. And, uh, my mom had just broken her back, you know, she's paralyzed. And so there's this whole thing that happens, blah, blah, blah. I go to Prescott college for half a year. And, uh, and in that, time my mom is alone she's suffering she's you know my brother's left for all intents and purposes and I just have this I'm just torn I can't go to college and I was studying sustainable ag at at Prescott and so um I decided I needed to go back and help my mom because she didn't have anybody and I figured well when I didn't have anybody she helped me you know you know when I couldn't walk you know when I couldn't feed myself when I couldn't wipe my own butt you know she carried me from nothing to the person I am. And it's like, what part of my self would not be appropriate to devote to her? Like, if she needed everything I could do in a day to really exist in a decent way, would I, why wouldn't I give it all to her? You know, she gave me the, the tools with which I'm doing the service with, you know? So that was really powerful. And we had a wonderful experience over many years. And I just like, I gave myself to this role of service and it was very spiritual in a lot of ways. It was in step with this growing your own food thing. And I was like kind of, uh, having this, uh, whatever kind of spiritual young person, you know, you know, not quite wandering the world in saffron robes, but it was that kind of thing for me. You know, I had hit this high vibration thing and, you know, kind of like the biodiesel, maybe there was a rush there that, that was about just growing up from being a kid to, to being a, a soulful adult. But at the time I was like, and people were reflecting to me, like not quite you're enlightened, but that kind of thing, the really like look at this, this is so rare. And, and so I, and I, and I got juiced by that in some ways. And it was true. Like I was having this humility thing. I was having a service thing. I was having this spiritual kind of ideal thing. And it was very much tied to the back to the land. And so I went big farming and animals and foraging. And one of the things that I loved doing was foraging and insects. I didn't eat a lot of insects, but I was fascinated by that the rest of the world did and how 
how cool that was and that we could and can eat insects when and as we need to. And so I wrote this. I, I used to subscribe to this thing called the Food Insects Newsletter. The Food Insects Newsletter. It was out of some university in the Midwest. And uh, it was killer. It's probably still out there. It's just a rag. You know, it was just like a 15-pager. But I'd wait for it. It was, you know, no pictures, just right out of the campus, you know, you know, whatever, uh, uh, print house, you know, and um, they would talk about these different insects that were edible in North America, where the range was, and how they, people would cook them, and stuff like this. It was really totally nerdy, totally academic, and uh, but every now and again, I'd eat a grub worm or a cricket or you know, a larva from a honeybee or a wasp nest or something, you know, and mostly just to freak my friends out. But I had some kind of like academic understanding, so I wrote this rap, and it goes like this. Uh, do, do, how does it go? Uh, bear with me here. It goes, uh, oh, well, I got this freaky habit. I like to eat maggots. I found myself a bug and then I caught, no, it goes like this. Sorry. It goes, entomology in the place to be. The whole world's eating bugs, baby. Why aren't we? Well, I got this freaky habit. I like to eat maggots. I find myself a bug and then I cold bag it and I put it in my sack. I sling it on my back. I'm gonna take it on home. Gonna fry them for a snack. Come climb a tree because that shit is free. We're gonna go and eat the larva of a honeybee. Crawl behind a thicket, grab yourself a cricket. You don't like what I'm eating, you know. Where well, you can stick it, does a thought of eating grub worms make your belly squirm, bringing out the goosebumps on your epidermis. Police don't think I'm bogus. This ain't no hocus pocus. You can dry roast locusts, stir fried cockroaches, kick it. There you go, the bug wrap. That is by far my favorite one. Really? How far out? That was great. That was perfect. That's great. Well, there's more, but that's 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 enough for tonight. Mm. <laughs> that's great. So there it is, people. Our first podcast has uh, has concluded. I really hope you enjoyed it. We certainly did. I uh, I'm looking forward to our next episode. It'll be with our good friend and neighbor Inga McCormick. She is a beautiful human being, and I cannot wait to share with you the story that we we had to uh, we got to experience with her so coming up not next tuesday but the following tuesday uh we're gonna bring it to you thank you very much for listening go check us out mtp.dog or you can check us out on patreon you can go to gofundme we're on stitcher we're on uh, itunes and anywhere else that you think we should be send us a note mtp.dog. Thank you. Take care. Do fun and interesting things. Goodbye.